1: ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than five G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of OOKLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022, and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com slash internet for details.
2: Welcome to Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bouquet. This episode it's a very exciting one. We've been talking about doing this uh, when we first started back last October right. uh, and breaking down some of the classic series of the NBA and The first series that really comes to mind for me as an NBA fan is that 2002 mm-hmm. Western Conference Finals between the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, we started our review of this series with Game 4, and of course we're going to go all the way through Game 7. Uh, but Anthony, this is a series you yourself had not seen. Watching this for the first time, you know, starting with Game 4, what were your initial impressions of, of the matchup and the series as a whole?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a series I've heard about before. Um, I'm aware of the YouTube... Is it a series of videos? The Greatest Tragedy in Sports. The Greatest Tragedy in Sports. uh, And so I know of it. uh, But yeah, this is the first time watching it. I've never watched uh, the Sacramento Kings from that time before. So this is my first look at a, uh, I would say, prime Chris Webber, which was really cool. Yes. A lot of really good players on on uh, on the Kings team. Like, they played really well, but uh, it did kind of get a little chippy with the, the refs a little uh, towards the end. So I, maybe we're seeing the beginnings of this, uh, you know, what's about to happen in the, the next few games, Game 6 especially. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm really glad we watched it.
2: Yeah, so, you know, this series had just about everything. It had, you know, differing styles of play. You know, right. With the Lakers, you've got the Kobe and Shaq dynamic of... Uh, You know, the Stars kind of carrying the load uh, versus this Kings team that even though, as you mentioned, Weber basically in his prime, he was a very unselfish guy. Really, you know, passing was one of his best skills and the team relied on passing and ball movement and and player movement uh, to be successful. Uh, So you've got that. You've got obviously a lot of competitive games uh, Mm -hmm. and then also the controversy, (laughs) which even though it, you know, it... It hurts the overall final outcome. It's certainly uh, just in terms of adding intrigue and uh, you know excitement uh, is is uh, also a, a key part to why this series is still talked
0: about today and in yeah.
2: 2018.
0: Yeah, you're right. Um, it was really competitive too from the very beginning. I mean, um, Sacramento gets out to a huge, huge run at the beginning of the game, and I'm just shocked because you know what I know of that Lakers team. You know, I know about their three-peat. Um, I just figured they were just rolling over people. Especially, we were talking about this the year before. That was when uh, the Lakers had that 15 and one run in Correct. the playoffs. Yes. Um, so to watch this and watch a team that I thought would be outmatched, not having a, a prime Shaq or prime Kobe. Um, compete with them was really cool to watch mm-hmm.
2: yeah they uh, as you mentioned the getting off to the hot star just knocking down a whole bunch of different shots and uh, I believe taking a 40 to 20 lead yeah. and then even uh, knocking down I think Bobby Jackson hit a three to start the second quarter so they were up 23 points pretty early on in this game uh, but uh, another thing that you know a lot of people don't think about when it comes to this series is the absence of Paja Stoyakovic, right and uh you know obviously he was one of the you know was an all star caliber player uh one of the best three point shooters in the in the game at that time uh and not only like not having him on the floor hurt the kings but then uh in terms of their rotation, they were basically Rick Adelman was playing seven guys. Uh, whereas you know eight guys makes it a little bit easier to continuously get a guy's enough rest, but when you get down to seven, uh, you can see fatigue become a factor.
0: Definitely, and towards the end, we we really saw that. Um, I, I even I pointed out at one point it looked like whoever uh, was playing the point guard at the time or whoever brought the ball up the court would sprint up the court. And then kind of getting a double team, and the rest of the team was almost walking up the court. Right. Every single play, um, you could tell how tired they were, for sure. The the Lakers, you know, in the first half didn't show a
2: lot of defensive intensity, but, you know, in the second half, they certainly brought that, and that's what helped uh, in terms of shutting down the Kings' offense a little bit. Mike Bibby had this really amazing first half in right. Game 4, and he was just hitting everything. I think he was eight of eleven in the first half. Yeah. Uh, but then just their ball pressure, getting the ball out of his hands a lot of the time, uh, and and taking away some of those easy backdoor type stuff. Right. You've seen it with the Warriors the last couple of years, like with Houston and against the Cavs when they the Cavs were able to pull it off in twenty sixteen and even the Thunder that same season. Whereas when you can really bring that defensive on ball pressure it takes a lot of those easy stuff away from teams that usually rely on that the, the one of the things that i think was uh, was entertaining about watching this game was the announcers getting to see like a guy like marv albert in his you know in his prime pretty much and you know you see marv albert today he's making a lot of mistakes and uh you mm-hmm. know you just and and that's natural given his older age and and that sort of thing but but then i i think you were laughing quite a uh, quite a <laughs> bit at uh at Bill Walton's commentary throughout the course of the ballgame.
0: Yes, I was. And, I I mean, I've seen a lot of games throughout the years where Bill Walton was a commentator, but uh, one of the things I love about him is there are times where he just says some pretty outlandish stuff that none of the other commentators really know what he's talking about, and they just kind of move on. They don't even address it. (laughs) Um, He he kept, uh, what was it, someone compared Mike Bibby to John Stockton at one point early in the game I think maybe Mike Bibby thought of John Stockton as like a uh, uh, an an idol or someone he looked up to maybe Mm -hmm. that they were referring to but like, seriously, into the fourth quarter, Bill Walton was continuously bringing up John Stockton in ridiculous ways. Yes. Do you remember any of them?
2: Oh, I mean, yeah, he just, he, he compared uh, one guy dribbling the ball to John Stockton. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and, oh, and... Because Bobby Jackson at one point made a bad pass in transition, he basically said every he Bobby Jackson makes a certain player look like John Stockton as a passer, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, he he had this tendency to once he got on to some subject, he just wouldn't let it go. Right. There was in the fourth quarter, Vlade Divac uh, was uh, was taken out of the game, and you know Vlade is an is an older player at this point in two thousand two, and yeah. he needs his rest throughout the game and. After just a couple of minutes of being on the bench, Bill Walton's already commenting, like, what What did Vlade do wrong to be sitting on the bench? And <laughs> it's like, he's just getting his rest. Right. But he keeps bringing it up over and over again, and then by the time Vlade came back in the game, he acted as if it was almost a negative because he had been sitting for so long. Right. When get- it
0: was really like four minutes of game time. <laughs> he was guarding Shaq when he comes back in. He's like, oh, get the ball to Shaq right away. Vlade, he was sitting too long. He's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the other commentators trying to be nice about it too when he brings it up. Why is he on the bench? Um, well, it, you know he he needs rest, and it's the big fourth quarter, and yeah. they're only playing seven guys. Um, but yeah, Bill Walton was just <laughs> so entertaining. <laughs> oh
2: man! So uh, you know, looking at the the, the style of play between, yeah. obviously, what we've watched in the the nba finals and the conference finals from this past year and then you know taking a look back and going back 16 years in the scope of the league and how the game has changed uh, i noticed a lot of like just poor transition defense guys allowing wide open threes and and yeah. teams almost conceding those sorts of shots because a lot of guys weren't a huge threat from that area
0: definitely uh yeah this is this is a much different era where it's kind of transitioning into that but uh mm-hmm. we're still a I'd say, a few years off from from where people are taking those threes with the confidence anywhere near they do now. Now it's, I mean, that's the goal is to take as many threes and then layups as you can. But um, I I definitely saw what you're talking about when the Lakers were going through a stretch where they weren't making shots. You know, you saw Lindsey Hunter chucking up some threes and Corey was shooting some and, and they're missing and... I feel like the commentators are like, you know, why are they shooting those bad shots or whatever? They need to get to the rim, where nowadays it's like, are are you kidding me? Like, if you're anywhere near the three-point line and they're backing off of you, you, you've got to shoot that immediately. Right. Make them pay.
2: That's a good shot, whereas it was looked at as a bad or, you know, almost um, allowing the defense off the hook. Right. By taking that sort of a shot.
0: I definitely saw with the the Kings early on there was a shot was it doug christie uh where you know they they swing the ball and Bibby passes it to him and he's like and he 's just kind of standing there right inside the three point line for a spot up you know right Uh where as a, anywhere nowadays they 'd be spotting up at the three um it just it shows a little difference in in the era though um Kings still had some decent shooters though out mm-hmm. there for for this era you know they 're still hitting threes, but the idea is still trying to get it inside uh a little bit more running with the kings it was running that offense through the high post a little bit more and then with the lakers obviously it's get the ball to shack close to the basket which i can't blame him for that <laughs> it's dominant down there
2: well and you know the the other thing that's that made shack so effective in that time as well as you know double teaming was a little bit more difficult uh than it is today you know today yeah. you can uh, you can come from anywhere, and as long as you're not doubling in the paint, like you, uh, and because of the defensive three-second rule, like you can get away with it, and, and guys can rotate and, and take a a guy that wasn't originally their assignment, but and then have just general rotation. Right. Uh, but you saw a lot of times in this game they would throw it to Shaq, and the Kings would just come with the closest guy. Like if Devox was guarding Shaq and Weber was kind of nearby, he would just... Come right. and make it a pretty obvious double team, and Shaq would then just dump it off to Ori for a for a finish or that sort of thing. But um, when doubling was that difficult, it just goes to show you why Shaq was so dominant at that time. Because you know we we kept just going, uh, we we're just rolling our eyes at how ridiculous Shaq was, just bowling over three guys on some possessions. <laughs> it, he was just impossible to deal with.
0: Yeah, the, the one in particular I'm thinking of, he, he gets an offensive rebound, basically reaching over Chris Webber, pulls it back, and then just goes right over, dunks over Vladi, uh, And yeah, at the end of it, I think all three of the guys around him are just sprawled out on the ground. <laughs> yeah. um, it's insane. You even made a, a comment about how when someone fouls Shaq, the guy who fouls him usually ends up on the floor. Lottie's laying on the ground, and he's yeah. the one who hit Shaq.
2: Exactly. Uh, the, um, the interesting thing I noticed, particularly about this game four in this series, was that you know Shaq l- looked to me to be the, clearly the, the best player on the floor, not only for the yeah. Lakers, but in the game. Definitely. Uh, but for the most part, I think the best runs the Lakers had was when Kobe got, got, yeah. uh, got hot and, and okay. got, got it going. Uh, so it just goes to show you, though, Shaq was kind of keeping, even when the Kings were going out to a certain league, Shaq at least kept him within reach. But then he needed that help from Kobe uh, against a team as good as Sacramento to, uh, to, to get him over the top.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, the energy, like the tide turned with uh, the energy coming to the Lakers when Kobe started going off. And he, he would, started bringing it on the defensive end, exactly, too. Exactly. Going,
2: picking up full court, that sort of thing as well.
0: Um, he made a run where, I mean, he seemed to be, like, have his hand on every play. I think Shaq was on the bench at this point where Kobe goes on that run and he's getting all these rebounds. He's tipping it to people. He's getting key steals, diving for loose balls and everything, um, which was, they really needed because I think he, he didn't score at all in the first quarter, I believe, and then goes on a little run in the second. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so I just kind of wanted to uh, get your thoughts on some of the individual Sacramento players because you, again, hadn't seen much of them. Right. But yeah, what were your what were your thoughts about a prime Chris Webber?
0: Pretty good. I, I was, I mean, I, I knew a little bit about him and knew that he was a great player. I didn't realize he was as quick uh, as, as he was. I didn't realize how um, agile and coordinated he was. He makes a move one time where... He gets the ball, goes up, and makes this little with his right hand makes this little scoop shot, uh, on like the right left side, right the handed, board, yeah. yeah, right handed layup on the left side, a la I think a uh, Kyrie Irving would do maybe that type of layup nowadays, right, with but, a little
2: spin on it, with a yeah. little
0: spin on it, but like this is a six ten power forward, right, uh, that was pretty impressive. His hook shot, like like you were the telling me before we yeah. get. Um. Yeah, his jump hook was, was pretty solid. He A lot of touch on it, too, because mm-hmm. not a lot of them went straight in, but they would hit the rim, bounce in. and um. I, I actually thought they should have gone to him more when they were going through stretches where they couldn't score. <laughs> there was even one towards the end where I, w- I kind of was like, Oh because I saw Chris Webber pass the ball out at the end of the shot clock to Vlade Divac. Vladdy ends up making the shot, so yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, it's a team basketball, that's the you know the principle of this team but uh i think he could have had a little more points and uh and helped the team there
2: well yeah that's the again going back to the contrasting styles you know sacramento with the with the ball movement the passing the player movement their their whole offensive system was based around balance and not letting the defense focus on one particular player which is a big reason why they were the best offense in the league at that time right um And then, obviously, the Lakers were very much the opposite. They were very predictable. Like, you know, they're going to throw it to Kobe or Shaq and, you know, basically say, get out of the way. Right. Uh, But, you know, it it almost feels like for three and a half quarters, the Kings style of play makes a little bit more sense. Uh, But then once it starts to get down near the end of the game, the pressure picks up a little bit, the defensive intensity rises uh, you know the fact that the Lakers know exactly what they're going to do kind of helps them, and right. the Kings felt a little bit uh, out of whack offensively.
0: Yeah, I agree. They're looking around like, uh, who's going to shoot it this time? Yeah, you need someone. You need easy baskets at that point.
2: Right, and that's why you know you you take a Kings team that was up 23 early in the second quarter, and the Lakers were able to just chop away at that, just little by little throughout the course of the game, and then. You know, they were down still about, uh, I think, like six or eight points in the last couple of minutes, but, uh, you know, a couple of huge shots from Robert Ory, not only, I think it was 96-93, he nails a three, people always remember the last second shot, which we'll get to here shortly, but... Uh, that, that shot also was big, because I think uh, Hito Turkoglu had just made a nice pull-up jumper to put the Kings back up six. Right. And then Robert Orey in the corner, in front of the Kings bench, knocks nice. down the three. Then even, as I think you noticed, he looked over and, and talked some trash.
0: Yeah. No, that was great. Uh, big shot, Bob. They call him that for a reason. <laughs> right.
2: And then, obviously, uh, at the end... Shaquille O'Neal got fouled on a previous possession, hit both free throws to cut the lead to 1. Yeah. Uh the Kings kind of uh after the Lakers commit their final foul prior to being into the bonus, Kings kind of move the ball around and uh eventually it ends up in DeVox's hands. He was hoping actually for an and-one cuz it seemed like he picked up his dribble, was fouled and then right. ran in for the layup but they didn't call it a continuation. Uh obviously those you know the interpretations of those calls have changed over the years. Right. Maybe in today's game that would have been an and one. Um, Maybe, yeah. But uh but he goes to the line, bricks the first free throw, knocks down the second which sets up the the final possession which um I know you you had seen that f- I had. that shot before. But uh, you, you hadn't connected it with the game that we were actually watching. So yeah. uh, the, the play, um, for those of you that haven't seen the, the closing stages of Game 4 of the 2002 Western Conference Finals, uh, it's, it's crazy. Kobe goes in, drives in to try to, again, a two-point shot would have tied the game. He misses a little floater. Shaq gets the rebound, misses a point-blank layup with a good contest from Box. And, you know, the the ball is kind of bouncing in the air. And Vlade just hits the ball out, tries to get it away from this massive pile of players. And unfortunately for the Kings, it was only nine players. (laughs) And Robert Ori is standing at the three-point line. He catches it, (laughs) knocks it down as the time expires. But, uh, you know, it really felt like the Lakers got away with one in in that game four.
0: They really did. And I, I will never understand why in all of those situations... Robert Ory is just standing on the three-point line, like he's a tall guy, he can help out with rebounding, but apparently this works for him, like just wait for someone to tip it to you. Um, yeah, I, I'd seen that play many times, I didn't remember that it was against the Kings, so it was a nice surprise, you know, to to see it in context. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that was part of the Lakers having to come back from being down, 23 points at one time and, and battling back.
2: And down 2 1 in the series as well. You know, right. if Sacramento wins that game, that means they would have taken both of the games in Los Angeles, right. heading back home for game five with a 3 1 series lead. That was a must shot for the Lakers' chances in the series. It really was. So, another guy that you seemed very impressed with, and, you know, I've loved watching him, especially in that series, but, you know, throughout the early to mid 2000s, it's Mike Bibby. And yeah. uh, what were your thoughts on, on his
0: play? I had only seen highlights of of him. Uh you know, like some of his more tricky passes and stuff. Didn't know a whole lot about him as a player otherwise. You know, I knew his dad was an NBA player uh as well and I I'd watched some games with him. Uh he was he was good. There was he crossed up Kobe the one time. Like he had this yeah. little hezy move, crossed to left, pulled up, right in Kobe's you know. Didn't quite make his ankles, but he was off balance for sure. Um, and I was asking you too, like you know, at, at this point in Kobe's career, where is he at defensively? Turns out he was uh, first team all defense, right? Yes. Um, Along with Doug Christie, who was on, you know, plays right. for the Kings. So. And Christie had some really good defensive plays too. He ends up getting a charge call one at one point in the game, just locking down Kobe, which, which was awesome. But no, Bibby, um, especially during that first quarter and parts of the second quarter, uh, just totally controlling the pace of the game. Uh, He's killing the Lakers with picks and pick and rolls hitting people where they uh, Where they need to be, you know, the ball needs to be getting the ball to shooters where they need to be Um, I was really impressed with them to be honest
2: It almost reminds me watching watching them play It almost reminds me a little bit of like the Bibby-Weber dynamic in the pick and roll A little bit like Chris Paul Blake Griffin Where, uh, you know, Mike Bibby and Chris Paul both kind of dominate in that mid-range area Yeah, pretty good shooters uh, but then they've also got that little pocket pass to the big man if if the defense comes out too hard. Right. And you know Blake Griffin, especially uh, once he had developed the jump shot, was a threat from the mid range, just like Weber was. Both sure. are decent passers, and both could attack the rim. Uh, you know, so an interesting little comparison there as well. Yeah. Another guy that I think uh, really surprised you or impressed you, I should say, was uh, was Hedo Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, I, I wasn't impressed by his hair at all. <laughs> uh, this was early 2000s. He had like the, the the blonde highlights. Yes. Uh we're we're still in that M&M era of of hair that I despise. Yeah, it does not look good. Doesn't well, look great. But I I remember uh Turkoglu when he played uh on Orlando. Uh, I'm thinking of probably the uh 2009 series against the Cavs, right? Mm-hmm um, when he was playing with Dwight Howard over there, where he's not as athletic, but, you know, was more confident as a player, um, and able to attack the defense. I remembered him being good. I didn't realize he was athletic as he was when he was younger. Um, he was a really good role player. And at one point he, you know, um, he makes a cut to the basket. Someone passes it to him and he dunks it jumping from like that, that upper, that circle. Mm -hmm. right, uh, under the foul line. So,
2: like, a step inside the free throw line, basically. Yeah, it was,
0: that was really impressive, um, that was an athletic move, and throughout the game, he's making plays, so that was really cool to see.
2: Well, and looking at, you know, the Peja Stojakovic absence, you know, that, that forced Turkoglu, I mean, he was a very capable substitution as a, as the starter at that small forward spot, but being able to bring Turkleo off the bench as well, I like, right. think about the value that that brings. You know, obviously, again, we've we've brought up the the controversy uh, in terms of the the refereeing in this series. What were your thoughts? Obviously, the the biggest uh, complaints come from Game Six, but sure. what were your general thoughts about this Game Four in terms of uh, how fair it was? I think
0: overall, the calls did go to to L.A. If I didn't know about game six and know about the overall controversy, I would not have really thought much of it. Mm -hmm. I would have thought like, well, I mean, it it got kind of chippy out there. Yes, most of the calls kind of went to L.A. Um, There there were some stretches there where, like you said, L.A. was really up in the defensive pressure. But there were some times where, um, like the one time in particular, I'm thinking of Derek Fisher kind of on Mike Bibby's back. Knocking him off balance after yeah. after Bibby did a really nice crossover move coming up the the court and it, he loses the ball because of it, and it's a turnover right where then on the other end there there ended up being a foul where some some scrub coming off the bench came in, and just Lawrence Funderburg, yeah Thunderberg, which is just the most amazing name. Most terrible name I've ever heard. Sorry if you're listening to this. I'm sure you're a great guy. I have no idea. Uh, but, yeah, he just checks Robert Ory into the Kings bench for no reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like stuff like that. There's Mike Bibby, part of why he struggled later on is because the Lakers were getting away with a lot of contact uh, with him, which made it tough. Um, I think the biggest thing in this game that I would say that you could look at as... Um, that really favored the Lakers would be that three-point shot at the end of uh, the half. I can't remember oh, the yeah, guy's the name. Oh, yeah, the
2: Samaki Walker.
0: Yeah, maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, but.
2: he. Um, I believe it was Robert Ori that got the rebound with about, I think, around four or five seconds left in the half. He takes a couple of dribbles and then throws a pass to Samaki Walker, and he uh, he launches the ball about five to ten feet beyond the three-point line. He's not a three point shooter you know it was a it was a very lucky shot to go sure. in in the first place, but you know at this time in the n b a they didn't review those kinds of calls where you could go back to the video and see that the shot was late in terms of you could see the um on the backboard you know they have those red lights when the shot clock or the buzzer sounds you know theres there's a still image and this is on the internet if any of you are curious <laughs> that uh shows him with the ball still clearly in his hands and the red lights showing. Right. Uh, so the shot shouldn't have counted, and of course, the Lakers winning this game by one. Uh, that sort of a call. In today's game, if they had played, you know, would not have counted. They would have taken it away. Uh, so yeah, those are the sorts of things that just, uh, you know, the Lakers got lucky a lot of times in this series, and, uh, right. and that's a perfect example of it. A couple other calls I'm thinking about, um, and again, this game four, there were some bad calls both ways. I think there was one play where Robert Horry, uh, in the second half, runs in and goes in for a layup, and Devox is basically under the basket right. and takes a hit, uh, which, you know, that would never be called a charge today. That was just a bad call. It should have been a no call or it, or even a block just because right. he's not in proper position because right. of that
0: restricted area. And it reminded me of, uh, I think there was one where LeBron James tried to take a, a charge this year. I can't remember what game it was, but basically the guy who was trying to take the charge ends up falling down in a different direction than where the defender was coming at yeah you know but like yeah if if the person's not set enough to go straight back and they're in the restricted area why is it a charge
2: yeah so that was a pretty bad call and then I also remember a call going against the Lakers at the end of the game I believe it was 94 to 90 Shaq gets the ball in the paint does like his you know his turnaround right hand jump hook and I believe he was hit yeah uh and they didn't call it so uh, but then there was also a couple of calls, uh, as you mentioned, the Mike Bibby one was uh, was pretty bad. Yeah, there was uh, there was a couple others against Sacramento that you just felt like. Uh, I think Devox got called for a couple of uh, a couple of fouls that didn't seem like anything happened. Oh, there was one where Bobby Jackson at half court jumped up to try to uh, you know deflect a, a loose ball yeah. and didn't really seem to make any contact other than on the basketball and was called for a foul. Right for Kings fans that are you know complaining about this series, thinking that they got the better of the Lakers. I think Game 4, there, it's not a good example as to, like, you know, oh, the referees were clearly getting paid or whatever. Right. Uh, I think, for the most part, it was a well-officiated game. There were bad calls both sure. ways. Uh, but, yeah, that Samaki Walker shot, obviously, is a, is a big reason why the Lakers were able to pull that off, and I believe that made it, uh, it would have been a 17-point halftime deficit if he doesn't hit that shot. Uh, taking it down to fourteen, kind of building the momentum as well uh, was a key factor. but you know, going back to Mike Bibby and you know you mentioned he got off to the really hot start in the first quarter and especially the first half but uh you know that shows you Kobe Bryant's value for this team as well on the defensive end. They put him a lot on Mike Bibby, whereas you know Derek Fisher maybe had the assignment for a good chunk of the time Bibby was going off, yeah uh, but Kobe you know Bibby made a couple shots over Kobe, but for the most part uh, Kobe yeah. shut him down and even prevented him from taking a lot of the shots that he had open in the first half.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, not all of the defensive pressure was was due to like, fouls and stuff, like I was saying before. Kobe was playing really, really great defense. He was blocking shots he a lot. He had a great block on Bobby Jackson right. when Jackson tried to reverse
2: layup, and Kobe blocked it with his left hand, I yeah. believe, before it got to the glass.
0: Really impressive defense overall. Um, yeah, he, he frustrated... Uh, Bibby during that second half for sure
2: well and you see like Shaq and in, in today's game would get taken advantage of in the pick and roll but you see in a game where it's more you know less about three-point shooting more about attacking the basket his impact on the defensive end uh you know blocking shots and I think throughout this series he was getting three or four blocks a game and also intimidating shots uh, right near the basket
0: yeah I was gonna say there was there's one uh It happens in this game where Mike Bibby catches a pass and he's like maybe four feet from the basket and the only thing standing in the way is Shaq. And he ends up just bricking a layup. I don't even think Shaq even really contests it, but I think he was scared that he was going to get blocked and ends up just missing it. Um, That's the effect that a Shaq could have on on your team with that. Yeah, I think with his size as big as he was at this time, uh, it would have been hard for him to, you know... To guard people out there on the perimeter although i i'm thinking of shaq versus javel mcgee now I, I mean i think he would feast on any of the the players but maybe a maybe shaq would have elected to stay a little bit thinner and more mobile if he was in today's game you know yeah
2: that's that's a fair point um you you adapt your surroundings Game 5 of the 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Kings. The Kings prevailed to take a 3-2 series lead on a Mike Bibby jump shot with about uh, 8 seconds left to give the Kings a 92-91 lead. Kobe Bryant had a chance at the end, but uh, the shot didn't fall for him.
0: Yeah, he actually ended up with a pretty good look there at the basket and just couldn't get it. So...
2: Obviously Kings getting the big the one point win after the Lakers doing the same to them in game four. Uh you know, this was this was a very interesting game. Of course game four you had the Kings getting off to that huge lead in the first quarter. Uh this game it was more evenly matched in the first. The Lakers took a five point lead after right. one. Uh Shaq getting off to a really good start as well. But then the Kings really dominated in that second quarter, especially on the defensive end.
0: Oh yeah. Uh they were really giving him a lot of problems in there I think Shaq was getting in that foul trouble and, uh, and everything too so yeah
2: well yeah and the uh the shack when he picked up his third Phil Jackson actually took him out uh with I think about five minutes to go in the second quarter the Kings go on a decent run there right with him uh, off the court and uh, you know we've talked about kind of the discrepancies between these two teams and how the Kings are real balanced, so one guy maybe resting doesn't hurt them as much. Whereas with the Lakers, if Shaq or Kobe are out, they're a significantly inferior team. Oh, yeah.
0: Yep, definitely.
2: Now, uh, the, the interesting thing, too, uh, about this game is, much like Game 4 that we watched, the Lakers made a comeback, and this time more in the third quarter. Right. In large part, again, due to Shaq, and then Kobe got hot as well uh but uh but Shaq in this game just was absolutely i mean he dominates consistently throughout right. this era uh of Lakers basketball but uh you know he just i think they had one stat where he had like eight dunks or something yeah, like yeah. that uh, but uh, he just is a, a mammoth of a man and just was pushing
0: everybody around. There were quite a few times this game where, you know, he catches the ball or gets a rebound pretty close to the basket, and I'm just like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> actually afraid for the well-being of Lottie DeVox and, uh, you know, Chris Webber because when he turns around, there was one time he went from, like, the middle of the key, got the rebound, turn, or I think just knocked over turn turnaround and just dunk the ball with so much force and it's shaking the rim and everything. Right. Uh, be so scared to play against a guy that big. And you can see
2: why, like, in the 90s, he actually, prior to them really stabilizing those rims, why he was able to break a couple of backboards and and bring
0: the whole hoop down on occasion. Oh, yeah, just on, like, one of his normal dunks was so much more forceful (laughs) than everyone else's. Uh, And we actually were pointing out, or you were pointing out, too, he's got some pretty good touch you know, on his shots from, like, five feet and in, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think I brought up how a lot of other people will will criticize Shaq for, like, you know, oh, well, he only does those shots real close to the basket and dunks on everyone, uses his size, he doesn't shoot fadeaways and stuff, like, yeah, well, he was really good at that, though, and right. he, he knew how to get great position and, you know, play to his strengths.
2: Well, and one thing I noticed you were mentioning uh, in reference to Chris Webber was The fact that he didn't have much of a left hand. yeah. But Shaq, in a lot of ways, doesn't have a left hand and never utilized his left hand either. But he's just so big and strong that he can turn obviously over the left shoulder with the the classic jump hook, right. but he'll even turn over the right with the and shoot it with his right hand, right. and really never struggles to
0: get that shot off. Yeah, which is kind of surprising, but I guess he's so big that he's and is able to put his arm on so high. Benefits being about 7'1", 300 pounds, right that sort of thing. Yeah, if I tried that, that probably wouldn't work even against you. You're you got about three inches on me. I yeah. probably couldn't do that right hook that way. But, yeah, yeah, no, he's able to get that separation and, and can hit it with pretty good consistency. So one of the other key storylines with this Game 5 was the return
2: of Peja Stojakovic. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, he sprained his ankle in the conference semifinals. I believe it was Game 3 of that series. So, you know, missed a couple of games at the end of the second round and then missed the first four games of the conference finals. Came back in Game 5, you know, came off the bench, probably played, I would say, around 15 minutes or so. What were your thoughts of, uh,
0: of Stoyakovich coming back from injury? Uh, obviously not recovered yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at one point he was saying that he, he was having trouble pushing off of that leg. So, uh, you know, definitely affected him on his shot. I can see, um, you know, we talked about this uh, during the game, you know, his reputation as a three-point threat was helping the team out. It was getting him looks. Um, opening things up for teammates at times. Exactly. Uh, there was some that one backdoor cut that he had that was really nice, but because he's not able to get that lift, he couldn't get up to the basket. To,
2: it was a real basic reverse. That yeah. he, he, he missed short. Right. Which, yeah, um, is generally, if you're missing it short, it's an indication you're not getting quite enough elevation. Right.
0: Um, I, I, I like the, the idea of playing him, though, because the last game, one of the big problems was that seven-man rotation, You know, they worked well, but fatigue is going to be a factor. Right. So at least having him out there, he can give some breaks to people for a while. But, yeah, it was kind of sad to watch. You know, like he's getting good looks and opening up good looks. Not able to knock him down, though. Well, and a little bit of a defensive liability. There's one play
2: where Rick Fox absolutely, like, (laughs) uh, you know... Uh, just did a very simple spin move type of thing, and then stepped back, and Stojakovic <laughs> <laughs> fell backwards and left him about five feet of space to just take a standstill jumper. Right. But it's certainly... Uh, I, I like that you made the point about the rotation, though, because adding that eighth man, uh, and even though, he, like he, again, he only played about 15 minutes or less, uh, just giving a couple of guys a little extra minute here or there is very valuable, and in Game 4... You know the Lakers made that huge run in the second half, and I think a lot of that just came down to the fatigue on the Sacramento right. side. Whereas the Lakers even came back at various stages in the fourth and took a four or five point lead, but Sacramento had enough energy down the stretch to uh, to prevail.
0: Right, and it makes me think too, if there's a healthy Paja in this series, uh, playing I think thirty plus minutes, playing thirty plus minutes, you know, because all of these games we watched so far are so close. Uh, I think there's an argument that could be made where the Kings end up, you know, beating this Lakers team, uh, probably not even taking it to, like, a sixth or seventh game. It it could be, you know, five or six games.
2: Well, and, you know, you talk about, you know, game four and the fact that you had that Samaki Walker three-point shot at halftime that shouldn't have counted. You had the right. Robert Ory just being fortunate <laughs> that he was standing in the exact spot that <laughs> Vlad Divac tapped the ball out. You know, if... Uh, you know, even without much contribution from Stoyakovich, if Game 4 goes any differently, or if that was played today and they reviewed that Samaki Walker 3, the series would be over. The Kings right. would have won this four games to one. Right. You're right. Wow. Um, but, but, uh, but, yeah, so Sacramento taking a 3-2 series lead, and, and a couple of guys that I thought played pretty well for Sacramento... Of course, uh, I think Weber had an incredible first half. Yeah. The second half, he had some questionable moments, and, and you at <laughs> times were uh, you know kind of uh, a little bit frustrated with his play.
0: A little bit. Yeah, Chris Weber, he's a lot more skilled and more agile than I, I thought he was, mm-hmm. but there were some times in the game where I'm watching him, and I think he's relying too much on trying to do tricky dribble moves or spin moves using that agility where he could be more like a Shaq. Use your size to your advantage and just attack the basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one in particular where he does this really nice spin move. I forget wh- who was guarding him, maybe like Fox or Ori. But he does this really nice spin move to get himself open. And then instead of doing a regular layup, probably with his left hand because he was on the left side. He tries to contort his body and do this tricky pass around Shaq. And the yeah. ball ends up going out of bounds. Shaq at this point had, like, four or five fouls, isn't looking to block a shot, and he ended up kind of getting out of the way. Um, Use your size. You're 6'10", man. You're a really good athlete. Right. I just saw too many of those where, like, you just got to go at the basket. What do you think about that, though? Well, yeah,
2: I mean, there are certain players that do kind of have more of a flashy style. I mean, I think of even Steph Curry when I talk about that, and You know, of course, in the 2016 finals, you know, Steph Curry had that behind-the-back pass in the closing minutes that went out of bounds. Right. But then when it works, and going back to Weber, there was a play in this game where he did a fake handoff with his right hand, and on the handoff then he went through his legs and got past the defender and threw right. a foul. So a lot of those times, you know, when the flashy stuff works, it looks great right. and, and pays
0: off for him. So there's kind of a give and take there. Yeah, I'm also thinking of the play where he does attack the rim, gets some contact from Shaq, and then does this awesome like underhanded scoop shot with oh, yeah. his right hand mm-hmm. kind of as he's falling down from the ground. It was it's really impressive. Uh, I just feel like the first look should be attack the basket and if the defense does something then you can counter with that he almost looked like he was going into the move trying to do something flashy and tricky uh and just didn't work out all the time but uh still a great player i was yeah. just getting frustrated watching him a little yeah bit. and he had
2: a pretty pretty good uh stat line for that game as well scored i think around 29 points and, right uh, so had a really good game yeah he did uh but uh the the interesting thing uh You know, going back to Shaq being in foul trouble in the first half, Phil Jackson takes him out at about the five-minute mark. The Kings go on a little bit of a run and take the lead at halftime. Uh, But then in the third quarter, both Shaq and Kobe pick up their fourth fouls pretty early on. Right. And this time, Phil decides, you know, we're we're down. I think they were down eight to ten points at that point. Uh, You know, we're not going to win this game if we rest these guys. He left them out there and... The Lakers actually then got really close and uh, and took leads at various times in the third due to the play of their two stars right
0: and that's that's something that I think Phil Jackson is uh pretty notorious for as a mm-hmm. coach, where most co- coaches will take their player out regardless of you know uh, if they're a star or not, you know if they're in foul trouble and we need them out there, you know uh let's save them for the end of the game. He famously would keep those guys in. Um, and it ends up, it ends up working out. Um, I was, we were talking a little bit about, you know, if you're the Kings in that situation, what do you do? Do you change your game plan up to try and attack those, uh, those guys? Cause it's again, pretty early in the game that they're in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Do you give the ball to Bobby Jackson and try and at- attack Kobe Bryant? Uh, cause Kobe's a really good defender, you know, he's yeah. probably going to win on that matchup more times than not you might get lucky and get that foul call but if not the lakers can end up doing like a 10 point swing while you're trying to pick up that one foul
2: right yeah there's again give and take there where yeah like it's nice to be able to pick up one of those guys fifth and force him off the floor but you know the 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 risk there is that you you're so focused on getting those guys you know drawing fouls on them that you get out of your offense you get out of your motion and you kind of get stagnant and exactly. your team loses all of its rhythm. And right. uh for a team like Sacramento that, you know, even though Chris Webber is an all-star caliber player, they're they're a team that is, you know, very successful offensively due to the movement, due to everybody being involved, everyone feeling like they uh, you know, they they've got a rhythm. So, you know, there's there's definitely risks to to doing that sort of thing, but you know, at times yeah, you you do wish that they would have attacked the basket a little bit right. more. Uh, because, you know, there were a couple of times where you'd see Shaq and
0: Kobe both kind of just let guys go Mm -hmm. because they didn't
2: want to pick up that foul.
0: Yeah, and, you know, another one of the frustrations of, like, watching Turkaloo sometimes taking a a bad shot. Uh, You know, it's an open look, a a look that he can make, but, like, taking a 20-footer early in the shot clock. You know what I mean? When you know Shaq's in foul trouble and there are lanes to the basket, they're giving you that. I think they probably should have taken that, and I think in the fourth quarter, when Shaq was out of the game, I was thinking that there were opportunities to get some easy baskets that they didn't always take. It ended out work. It ended up working out for them in the end. Mm-hmm. But I thought the Kings maybe could have made a little bit more of a run to give them some uh, some more comfort there towards the end, as opposed to having to pull out a you know a really tough victory at the end and. Rely on that clutch shot from Bibby. Well, yeah, and uh, Shaq, I
2: believe, yeah, fouled out with about four or so minutes left in the ball game, and yeah, the a lot of the times you'll see teams in that situation almost feel like, oh yeah, we're we've got this now. And I, uh, for some reason, this reminded me of a, a game last season. It was, I believe, the Wizards versus the Cavs. Okay. Where, or this was not last year, but the year before, where lebron fouled out in a regular season game and there was you know just a few few minutes left and the wizards kind of were you know real celebrated the, yeah. the fact that he fouled out the whole team was you know pumping their fists right thought they had had the game one but it's like well uh you know the Cavs still have Kyrie, and with the lakers they still have kobe right so if the lakers or the Cavs in that situation have to play an entire game without lebron or Shaq, right that really matters but over the course of a couple of minutes, you know, a couple baskets here, you know, and Kyrie ended up winning that game for Cleveland by just right. making a lot of shots, and Kobe down the stretch hit a couple of shots to put the Lakers in a great position right. to nearly get the win despite not having Shaq
1: out there.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Uh, you know, they're, they're celebrating, and it's <laughs> like, well, still got this other guy that you can't stop. Yeah. Uh, I was impressed with that with Kobe. He was taking some really tough shots, and that is definitely something that's... Uh, uh, him and Allen Iverson really stand out in my mind of two guys that just consistently take some of the toughest shots that I've ever seen over mm-hmm. two, three people, uh, but he can make them. And right. coming down the stretch, you know that is kind of your best bet of the offense, just give him the ball, and if he can get that shot off, you know more times than not, he's going to make it. And like we said, even though it was a contested shot at the end, um, he was going against Bobby Jackson, was able to get him to lose his footing and then was able to just turn around and get a pretty good look at the jumper. And he's
2: got about, you know, a six to eight inch height advantage over Jackson as well. Exactly. So, uh, but Jackson able to recover after that initial right. stumble
0: and get a pretty and good contest. And get that contest. So um, ends up, it ends up working out for the, for the Kings, but it, very close. After the last uh, game, I remember thinking, man, this Kings team, uh, you know, they really should have won that game four. The Lakers kind of got lucky. Yeah. And this game, I'm like, wow, these are pretty well matched teams. Yeah, uh, where just any game could go either way. Um, but again, Peja's not at full <laughs> health and not uh, able to really contribute there. So, what did
2: you think in terms of the the foul situation in this game? Because you know, of course, this series is mired in controversy with the referees. The first half, it seemed like a lot of the. Uh, you know, the the fouls were going against the Lakers. I think at one point in the second quarter, all five starters had two plus fouls. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but then in the second half, it seemed to change quite a bit. And I think a lot of it just depended on the, the aggressor. And in this, the Lakers, especially in that third quarter, became the aggressor and got a lot of the Kings in foul trouble. And then Doug Christie, uh, you know, right. the, the King's best perimeter defender fouled out, which also left
0: Kobe with more advantages uh, down the stretch of that game. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was more due to the who was the aggressor versus the refs trying to pull one side. It, honestly, for most of the game, I thought the calls were going against the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was
2: that, that Shaq foul, uh, which right. was his fifth personal, where Vlade Divac went in for a layup. And uh, it looked like Shaq got the ball. It was a little, little bit of an awkward-looking block. Right. It seemed like he got it clean. He had both hands on the basketball, uh, which ended up being his fifth foul, which, of course, then he eventually fouled out. So that really matters. And it right. impacted the game. But, uh, um, you know, and the, so... Yeah, there were a couple calls that went against the
0: Lakers, there were a couple against the Kings that I thought were questionable, but all, yeah. all in
2: all I felt like it was pretty evenly called as as far as the the officials go.
0: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. And I which is interesting going into this cuz I I thought that I'd heard some opinions from people online who really thought that the entire series was against the the Kings, you know, like saying like, "Oh, well the NBA just wanted all of, you know, from the get-go, they just wanted the Lakers to get into the finals or whatever. So, but no, I think overall it's been pretty, pretty fair. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, every game is going to, you know, go either way off of chance, but, uh, yeah, um, that foul trouble with the, the Lakers, it's kind of amazing that they were able to stay in the game as long as they were considering how early their star players were all in foul trouble.
2: Right. And, you know, the, uh, the Lakers' bench and lack thereof really played a, played a factor, especially g- given the foul trouble. Because a guy like Samaki Walker, the Kings kind of went at him with Vlade Divac
0: a lot throughout the game. They really did, like almost every play during that one stretch. They were just going right at uh, with Vlade there, and they couldn't stop it. The Lakers, they really couldn't. Um, Yeah, it was really interesting to watch.
2: Well, and Bill Walton had some comment, I think it was even in the third quarter, that the entire Lakers bench only had one point up to that that stretch. But they did get an unlikely contribution, especially on the offensive end from Rick Fox, who had a solid game.
0: Yeah, I was uh, kind of pleasantly surprised to see that. You know, he's knocking down some shots. He's playing pretty well on defense. Uh, You know, he's just uh, filling those holes as kind of a utility player out there. It was... Yeah, and the Lakers kind of needed that during some of those stretches. So
2: Let's just kind of break down a little bit of the, the, the late-game action in this one.
0: Okay. Uh,
2: the It was tied at 87 with uh, just a few minutes left, and this is after Shaq has been fouled out. Uh, Chris Weber uh, went to the line after that foul on Shaq, made one of two to give the Kings a one-point lead, uh, but then Kobe had a, a really nice shot uh, going baseline and hitting a shot over Hedo Turkoglu. Yeah, uh, going to his right, fade away, kind of classic Kobe right there. That gave the Lakers a uh, a one-point lead then, and Bill Walton had some comment that, I I forget if it was Bill Walton or the other color guy, but he said you should make him go towards the middle, which I kind of questioned that. I feel like the baseline kind of acts as another defender for you, and generally if you go to the middle, that opens up, passing lanes and kind of sucks in
0: the entire defense. I was going to bring that up uh, during the game and then I'm glad you you brought that up here because I wanted to talk about it here. Um, what your preference is versus on defense, whether you want to force your guy to the middle or force your guy to the baseline. I've actually had coaches, uh, different coaches throughout my career that had different opinions on that. Okay. I've had some coaches that were like, "No, force them in the middle because you have more people there." No, force them in the baseline because that the baseline can act as a defender. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, I generally think, and and this goes to like uh, you know the Tom Thibodeau defensive mindset where uh, you know when there was a pick and roll happening, they would play a defensive coverage which is called ice, okay. where you essentially put the defender between where the, the ball handler is and where the pick and roll is taking place, and essentially giving the ball handler a path and, and playing to the side of him. Okay. So it, it seems kind of counterintuitive to just the general principles of defense to just let the guy drive past you, but the idea is if you force him towards the baseline and you have your help already rotated there, right? You know he's driving into an area that your defense is well set up to, to stop. Yeah. Um so I generally prefer that sort of uh situation. And you know, you you look at a guy like James Harden now, you know, if you if he gets on the right side of the floor and a guy sets a screen and he can get to the middle on his left hand, yeah, that just makes him so tough because he's got the floater, he's got the lob, he's got the skip pass to the other sides of the floor now opened up for him. Right. Whereas if you keep him on the if you keep him more towards the side of the floor you, you're not only forcing him to his weak hand, but then you're also making any pass to the other side. It's a longer pass. Right. So then your defense has a
0: longer time to recover and get out. I agree. Yeah, I think that's generally the better uh, way to go about it. One of the things that, um, uh, and I, I hope I'm correct on this, but one of the things that uh, I thought was interesting about the Jordan rules was that they never wanted Jordan to get baseline, where that's generally not what you want but because he was so good at getting past someone on the baseline and ending up scoring and doing that reverse that they actually wanted to force him over towards more of the defenders, kind of towards the middle. Yeah. Um, but also their general strategy was to just throw as many bodies as Jordan as they could mm-hmm. and make everyone else score. So that wasn't. that's not quite the same situation as we're talking about. Um, yeah, I think it might have been Walton. I thought that was kind of a weird thing to say there. Another comment about Walton, I didn't think he was quite as bad this time around yeah and you know sometimes i'm honestly
2: surprised he doesn't throw some more sort of philosophical points because he's known for what did he tour with the grateful dead for like a decade or (laughs) something like that but uh he's he's a very unusual person um right uh yeah so it is it is surprising when he doesn't say things that are shocking to you (laughs) right
0: right but yeah they they Kobe was getting that ball, and going to the baseline every time, and I mean, really no lanes to get past anyone to go to the basket. But that that's okay when you're Kobe and you can just rise up and fade and get your shot off. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Shaq and Kobe in that. You know, if that's my choice.
2: The 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 other interesting thing I'm not seeing Shaq, uh, you know, make his teammates better as much as you would you would think he would. I mean, he was a really good passer, but yeah. just by the way the defenses are playing and the way. The, the floor is spaced in, in the mid two, or early 2000s. Uh, you know, he's not getting guys' wide-open looks off of those post-ups as much, and and frankly, Kobe isn't really getting any easy shots off
0: of Shaq either. He's really not, and yeah, that's really interesting you bring that up, because I want to say, uh, watching the Orlando series, uh, you know, where Shaq's playing with Penny Hardaway, and they're going against the Chicago Bulls in 95-96, I remember, like, penny being able to like get some more open space with shack down low and mm-hmm. people able to get an open shot so i don't know what's changed with this era or if well, it's I just would the triangle. It, i think it's the roster more than anything
2: yeah, but, okay. that orlando team was well ahead of its time right i think that 95 magic team would would play great in today's game sure uh because you had Uh, Dennis Scott who was an elite three-point shooter you know it's it's one thing to be able to capably hit a three like a Rick Fox or a Derek Fisher it's another thing for teams to fear you right and with Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson and even Penny Hardaway those guys were legitimate threats from three right the defense had to stay out on you know with with this Lakers team you know even a Robert Ory he's he's capable of hitting a three but I don't think the Kings were ever, like, you know, really scared when he was out there taking a three-point attempt.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you you would think having Shaq on your team would just immediately cause all these double-teams and open shots, but, yeah, if they can't knock it down, then, yeah, I'd be double-teaming all the time. Right, and and he creates such havoc, though, whenever you do play him
2: one-on-one and he's also such a tear on the offensive glass. And with and he does such a good job, especially when he was, you know, bigger in his Lakers days sure. of sealing and getting the ball r- right near the basket where all he's got to do is turn around
0: and dunk it. Right. A few times where I'm, like, literally like flotty, like, why are you trying to block it, dude? You've got <laughs> no chance of blocking his shot. You're going to break a hand or something. Yeah. Well, and... The couple of teams during that Lakers three peat
2: run that gave the Lakers the biggest problems, of course, this Kings team. But then also in two thousand, that Portland Trailblazers team with Arvidas Sabonis at center. Okay. But uh, one thing we were noticing was, you know, having Vlade Divac a center that can knock down a jumper, how much that helped the Kings' offense because Shaq, obviously, the rim protection, wanting to stay around the basket, but Divac.
0: Capably knocking down
2: those jumpers made it tough on him. Yeah, he was he was getting
0: some good looks and knocking them down. Uh, you know, I, I know we talked about before of how well would a big Shaq, the dominant Shaq on the Lakers, fare in like today's game where you've got centers who can step out a little bit more. I, I definitely get that argument that it would be more of a, a, a little bit of a liability for him mm-hmm. because even Vlade taking 15 to 20-foot jumpers... Was giving him trouble and opening up that lane yeah. for people to go get, uh, come at the basket, and someone like Sabonis who could really knock down that shot. Yeah, he was. It was giving him some some problems there.
2: So, what are your thoughts? I know you'd seen Vlade with like uh, you'd watched a lot of that '91 Finals where right. he was really young on that Lakers team playing against the Bulls. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of the the veteran, the elder statesman, Vlade Divock?
0: Um. He, uh, yeah, on that the 91 team, he was definitely more of a role player. You know, that is definitely uh, Magic Johnson's team and James Worthy and all that. Uh, you know, so he's just kind of doing the dirty work, getting rebounds, and, you know, hustle plays. Uh, definitely very – oh, he's always been a good passer. I will say that. Even in the Lakers then, he was a good passer. Uh, definitely able to showcase his passing ability on this Kings team. His shooting ability opens up the floor. Um, a lot of hustle plays. We were talking a little bit about like you know an alt- putting together an all-time flopping squad for uh, the NBA. <laughs> I think Vlade's my starting center when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what are your? <laughs> he's he's very he he does flop a lot. But um, yeah, I mean he's Vlade he, as a player. He just really impresses me in this
2: series. I mean not only. Does he have to deal with the physical punishment of dealing with Shaq on an every play basis? But uh, his ability to not be afraid on the other end and and attack Shaq. You know, there were plays where he would just go right around him and finish or, you know, knock down those jumpers or even post up against him. Yeah. Uh, And again, as you mentioned, great passing, Uh, you know, solid rebounder as well. Uh, Just a a real calming presence for this Kings team. I, I think. You know, just watching games four and five, he's been he's been terrific for them.
0: He really, yeah, he he really has been. I think uh, that's something that might uh, get overlooked, too. For a player like Vladi, we have a tendency to look back over history and we remember the big names of like, oh, these, these guys were so good, so athletic, so skilled. We forget about some of these other guys that, you know, yeah, Vladi one-on-one against Shaq is is never going to win that matchup. Mm-hmm. But as long as you can put up some roadblocks and be effective, and just your your emotional presence on the team can actually really help a team like the Kings, where, you know, if a few, like you said, if a few things go differently, this Kings team ends up going to the finals and probably winning that championship with uh, Vladi being a big part of that. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, going back, we, we kind of... Uh, stalled on the the final, final plays, plays yeah. of the game. But the Lakers went up 89-88 with that Kobe shot along the baseline. Uh, but then uh, the Kings uh, come back. I think they, they missed a shot. I believe it was Turkaloo. Mm-hmm. The Lakers come back, and Kobe gets into the middle of the paint and hits a little bit of a floater right. to give the Lakers a three-point lead with just a couple minutes left. So things not looking good for the Kings at this point. Uh, but then... Uh, Mike Bibby comes down. He draws a foul, then goes to the line, knocks down both free throws to make it a one-point game. Mm-hmm. Then Kobe misses another shot uh, again, uh, over the likes of a Bobby Jackson, not able to not able to convert. But again, even uh, even in the situation where he had Bobby Jackson and not Doug Christie on him, the the shots were really difficult that he was attempting. Really uh, Sacramento gets it, and uh, with less than a minute to play rick fox kind of pressures the ball a little bit which uh you know kind of uh flabbergasted the kings a little bit and uh mike bibby passed it back to bobby jackson who threw it to get it over the timeline in the 10 seconds or less to Tahito hito on the right hand side he kind of was dribbling not knowing what to do seemed like he didn't want the ball right then he gave it to weber who tried to dribble through his legs Right. right near kobe kind of fumbles it it goes out of bounds
0: we couldn't really tell on the based on the replay whether that was the right call whether it should have gone back to the kings yeah the the angle was kind of tough even on the replay to tell and it was another moment for me where I was a little frustrated that Weber you know got decent handles you know but in that situation that big a moment he's trying to go in between the legs on Kobe like maybe not the best choice right there
2: right but uh so I believe there's about 11 seconds left right. on the game clock and 8 on the shot clock for the Kings, so they call a timeout. Right. Uh, design a play, which I think is a, it was a really good play call by Rick Adelman where he's got Mike Bibby inbounding it on the, the side baseline, almost towards the corner. Yeah, And uh, Chris Webber is on the right-hand side of the floor, kind of right inside the three-point line. He gets the pass from Bibby. Bibby comes running right towards Webber, and they do a handoff. Webber sets the screen Maybe he gets away with a little <laughs> bit of an illegal screen, sure, sure in those moments, uh, the refs aren't going to call that. Bibby gets pretty much as good of a look as you can expect for him from his sweet spot, which is that 20-foot
0: range. Right. And he very confidently knocked it down. Knocked it down. I, I love that play, the way it was executed, everything about it. Um, and was it Walton that criticized that one again? I feel like that was something that Walton did there of like, oh, there's too much time left on the clock. Oh, yeah. You know, I I thought like you're losing that game, right? Uh, It doesn't really benefit you to wait until the last second because if you miss it, you just, you lose. Right. right? At least if you shoot it early, say Bibby misses that, you've got a chance to get the rebound and get another shot off or foul if the lakers get the rebound Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i thought that was an odd comment from again one of the the nba's best centers of all time really smart guy but not to take away because we're talking about the flow of the game great um great shot by bibby great play call um yeah that was awesome
2: well yeah i i i I like that you mentioned that because i do want to bring that up because yeah (laughs) I, i disagreed with what walton said as well and uh you know I guess he's coming from the perspective of, oh, well, there's so much time now for the Lakers to, to come back and potentially take the lead. But when you're losing, it's one thing if it was a tie game. In a tie right. game, I say, yeah, run the clock down as much as you can so that the other team doesn't get much of a chance coming back. Mm-hmm. But when you're losing, you know, if that shot doesn't go down, you then have to foul, right. which takes time then. The, the ball goes to the other end of the floor. You've got to get the rebound and push it back. Right. Uh, you need plenty of time to be able to do that to give yourself another chance yeah. and again, down one, if you miss that shot and foul, even if they make both, you're only down three. You're, it's still a one possession game right. So you you need to give yourself time to give yourself multiple
0: opportunities in the event that you miss that first shot right And it ends up working out for them right yep. as we go to the next play with Kobe. Yeah, so with uh, with
2: about eight seconds left, then the Lakers get it get it in they they find kobe probably with about 6 seconds left uh on the game clock on the right hand side of the floor again gov- covered by bobby jackson he drives right kind of picks up his dribble pretty quickly uh you know does kind of a little bit of a shot fake then kind of spins and and fades away over jackson again we mentioned jackson kind of stumbled at first but then came up with a good contest and uh, the shot ended up being long, and
0: uh, right ended up being the ball game. Exactly. And that's what we we're saying. Like he was still able throughout all of that to get a look that he can knock down. It yep. just you know little little too long, and I think that contest was a big part of it. In
2: similar area of the floor where he hit the shot over Turkaloo just minutes prior. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Kobe didn't have the most efficient of games. I think he he was around eleven of twenty eight something something in that mm-hmm. range. Uh, but uh, you know. Again, I would say the vast majority of those 28 shots were really tough. And when it comes to a guy that's as skilled, athletic, and and has
0: the size and strength that Kobe does, you just expect him to be able to get a better look for himself. Right. And we talked about that a little bit during the game. Uh, You know, I do feel like sometimes maybe I'm a little too harsh on Kobe. uh, Because, again, he's one of the great tough shot makers that I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, and like, people say that he's you know on par, close to Jordan, and that that ruffles your feathers a little bit. And and I and I don't I want to be unbiased too, as I'm you know being critical of him, I should be the same uh, amount of criticism for everyone else. But I think there are times that uh, this is more of a systematic thing with the offense. You should be able to get Kobe shots where he doesn't have to take these really tough uh, you know fadeaways, or sometimes some of those floaters he's taken with two or three guys like the centers, you know, contesting that shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he can make them, but I feel like the Bulls did a really good job of getting Jordan, like, wide open or partially contested 15-footers for a lot of his career. I think you could do the same with Kobe, but instead, uh, you know, with this Lakers team where you've got much better uh, low-post threats with Shaq compared to your Luke Longley's or Bill Wennington's, You know, you should be able to get even more wide-open looks for Kobe, uh, which would have just made it way easier. You know, no reason why he shouldn't be shooting 50% or around 50% every game.
2: Well, yeah, and that's the interesting parallel, of course. Kobe and Shaq playing with Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and Scotty playing with Phil Jackson. So they're both running the triangle, but as you mentioned, the shot distribution, or not, not distribution, but the shot quality seemed to be so much higher for an MJ than it was for Kobe. Right. Um... And yes, you you bringing up the Shaq is in the paint that does you know that does have a, a big factor on Kobe's ability to get to the basket and the the paint generally being a little bit more clogged. Right. But how much of that do you think is just Kobe playing with an interior presence and Jordan didn't have that? So Maybe. versus just Michael Jordan searched out and was that much better to get those quality
0: looks than Kobe. It might be a little of both, because I think that's kind of a a staple of Kobe's game, like throughout his career, even later on when Shaq wasn't a presence. Yeah, I mean, you know, Paul Gasol is in the center, which does kind of clog it up with you know uh, and Bynum and everything else, and then Dwight Howard. But um, yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, Kobe's got more of a low post presence, so it clogs it up takes away that option to get to the basket whenever he wants so he kind of is forced to take outside shots but But then
2: again jordan played with some you know non-shooting bigs as well right and you'd think playing with like a luke longley would actually be harder to get to the basket because teams would be more willing to leave him in health situations than
0: a Shaq who they know if they leave him he's gonna slam home a tip dunk right i think i think to be honest and i I really feel like I'm being unbiased here, but understand if people you know disagree because I obviously have a preference with Jordan. I think Jordan, as his career progressed, right once he started winning championships, I think one of the things that really surprised me was he took really, really great shots. Mm-hmm. Unless it, unless he really had to, uh, or unless he was really feeling it and was just knocking down everything, he wasn't going to take the two or you know the contested shots with two or three guys on him. When he could take, you know, uh, there was a situation where I was I was bringing this up during the game where Kobe takes two dribbles and takes a contested floater over like two or three guys. Where I think Jordan might have maybe just taken the one dribble and shot a pull up over one guy. Mm-hmm. You know, still contested, but a little bit better percentage shot right. in that case. Um, but I don't know if that's, you know, if that's just Kobe's preference or, you know, Phil just wanted to use this offense you know, and this was the system. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the problem was there, but I feel like you should be able to get better shots well, as Kobe Bryant.
2: And I will say, in Kobe's defense, you know, this is still kind of a... I would describe this as his pre-prime. He's still... Sure. I think he peaked at around 06. Right. So this is still before, like, his absolute peak of his game, whereas, you know, we're kind of comparing Jordan exactly. with peak with the Bulls. Right, so, so not quite fair there. Yeah, um, but... But still, I, I agree with most of what you're saying. Um, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of what Kobe is doing is just uh, it seems like you're, you're just not going to be super efficient with the shots that he's taking, especially against an elite defender
0: like Doug Christie, who uh, you know, through the two games we've watched, he's been excellent on that end of the floor. He really has. And, like, every, you know, again, Shaq at the end is fouled out. Every play towards the end of the game was get the ball to Kobe on the right side, and he's either going to shoot it immediately or take one or two dribbles to the right and shoot a contested shot. Mm -hmm. Um, And it ends up keeping him in the game, you know, because he's able to knock down some of those. I don't know exactly what his percentage was on those shots, but uh, I think maybe you could have done something with the offense to get him a little better look or maybe a little better matchup instead of just, you know, it's really easy as a defense to be like, oh, he's got the ball there, he's going to shoot it. You know, if he misses it, we've got a perfect rebound right here. Um, maybe run through the offense a few times and then let Kobe isolate on the other side of the floor or something like that. Get a, get a post up where he's a little bit closer to the basket. Because he's posting up from like 15 feet on most of those, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and again, probably not fair with, you know, to, compared to Jordan, but Jordan was like the primary post up guy with that Bulls offense. And usually he's posting up at the block or, yeah. you know, maybe 10 feet at the, the furthest. Um, they still only lost by like one point, though. So we're being kind of critical here. The Lakers really almost pulled this out. Uh, and they were on the road. To, yeah. On the road. And they were able to win that last game, you know, on that last second shot there. So it's a great series either way. Uh, it's just when you got someone who's so good as, as, as Kobe Bryant and Shaq, you almost feel like they should be able to beat everyone, you yeah. know, because they're such a matchup nightmare.
2: Well, and it's, it's funny, again, we, we mentioned uh, when we were talking about Game 4, uh, the contrast in styles where, like, when the, when the Kings are at their best, the ball is moving, the players off the ball are in motion. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, a symphony sort of thing. Whereas when the Lakers, you know, especially in the third quarter of this Game 5, it's kind of like, oh, we realize that, like, Shaq and Kobe are clearly our best players. We're just going to force-feed them every possession yeah. And
0: either Kobe or Shaq are taking pretty much all of these shots, and that's when they're at their best. Yeah. It's uh, it's an amazing clash of styles, like you said. It's really fun to watch, actually.
2: Well, and, you know, the Lakers were fortunate, too, to be able to find role players that are are willing to play that style and commit on the defensive end of the floor. A lot of guys, you know, if they're not playing offensively or they're not consistently touching the ball, that kind of impacts them right. on the other end. But you know guys like derek Fisher rick fox
0: robert Ory, they're they're the consummate professionals, which right. is kind of what you need for that team right, and you know i I think I'd be willing to take that back seat to to win those three championships with uh with Kobe and Shaq like yeah, maybe my numbers drop a little bit, but yeah, you get to win the championship as opposed to being on a crappy team, and maybe you get to have five more points a game as right. Derek Fisher, you know. <laughs>
2: That will do it for this episode of Duncan Dynasty. We just covered games four and five of the Western Conference Finals. Stay tuned in the coming weeks. We will have uh, games six and seven of that series for you uh, in part two. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, If you haven't yet, please subscribe to our show on iTunes or whatever podcast player uh, you use. Uh, subscription, rating, review, all of that is, uh, is greatly appreciated and helps us out tremendously. If you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, I am at Garrett Bougay. Anthony is at AKBrown2023. We're both on Facebook as well. And even future podcast suggestions, any, uh, any thoughts on the show, what you like about it, what you dislike, all of that is, uh, Is very valuable information to us. We're hoping to make a a better show week in and week out. Uh, So, again, thank you so much for listening, and have a great rest of your day.
0: Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House Cleaning.
1: Or.